obviously you can't do this thing, but if you were to do it, how would you do it? <laughs> it's the OJ Simpson. If I would have done it, how did I do it? Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. <laughs> I'm so happy. It's the weirdest little giggle you've ever done. <laughs> giggle of joy. <laughs> uh, we need to talk about something first. Okay. Something that's currently happening on our Instagram. Look, all of the attention that we've tried to get, get you people to leave us reviews, whoring myself out. Yes. <laughs> Which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> Nothing. Do one podcast on the flat earth conspiracy and you wake up in the morning and the Instagram is book blown up. That's what it takes. That's the only attention. Now I get why people join the Flat Earth Society, because it's the only way they can get any attention. Yes. <laughs> we couldn't get attention. If we joined the Flat Earthers, we'd never be alone again. Can I can I read you one part of one of the comments? Because it's my favorite one. Never mind the guy who yeah. I'm getting into an argument with. But I was like, <laughs> I know I don't need to engage with these people. But at the same time, I was like, I'm enjoying engaging. <laughs> fun until i got tired last night i was like ah whatever um but there's the guy who just commented first saying was this the one on netflix and i was like innocent enough comment i was like yeah that's the one that one <laughs> the response that we got back from that just made me laugh so much he was like oh well that thing's garbage it was produced by controlled opposition people who are waking up to the truth aren't that stupid there's several other very well done documentaries that you'll not see on mainstream media. You seem open minded, but you may be another one of those multiple shill accounts popping up all over the place for damage control. If you're serious, I'll give you some leads to follow. <laughs> and I said something about the only way to truth is through yourself. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so. I commented after all that I said as myself, but the earth is definitely not flat. Like, I said it definitely has curvature. It's amazing. Oh, I it's just really, really enjoy it because it, it, it's also a statement on how like you can't argue with these people because the guy that I did get into it with, like it just it's just never ending. And really it's just about who backs down first. And I'm just like, I don't have the energy yeah. to, to fight, to, to try to explain yeah. this to you anymore because there's no, it's not possible for me to explain <laughs> this to you in a way that you're going to accept. So I think his last comment to me was like, okay, I win. Bye, loser. I know. <laughs> right, I'm still child. chuckling about this. I'm still chuckling about the vacuum thing. It's like, if space is a vacuum, how come, how come we aren't like... <laughs> No, it, 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 he said something to me about how, um, I mean, have you ever worked with a vacuum system? I do sometimes when uh, freeze drying. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. James has a sous vide machine and he has a vacuum sealer, right? And, and he uses that for, for making food, right? And I think that's the same thing that the dude is talking about freeze drying. And I was like, that's not 
it's not the same thing as a vacuum in space and it's not that no and and have you ever worked with vacuum systems like yes yes in the lab right now i have an entire vacuum system laid out (laughs) i was i was literally looking at a laser in a vacuum system two days ago Ah! Uh, but you could be a shell i am a shell total anywho It's really just overwhelming. I can't believe it sometimes. I just think it's hilarious. What the hell? <laughs> Flat Earth, yeah. just wait for Bob Lazar. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> Get the Area 51 or Aliens. Out. Okay, aliens. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Enough of that. Okay. All right, are we... Anything else? Is there anything else? Nah, not this week. Not for me. I don't want to talk about my own science this week. Um, (laughs) All right, let's go because I'm going to do... Let's get started. Less Mm. waffle, more movie. And this week's movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Was it the first time for you? Yes. (gasps) Okay, great. All right, let's go. Frida's summaries as follows. Joel wakes up and spontaneously decides to ditch work and board a train to Montauk, where he meets blue-haired Clementine. It's Valentine's Day, and it seems like a lovely way to meet a special new person. And although the movie appears to jump ahead to the end of their relationship, we realize, and they realize, that they were a couple grieving the loss of passion and the onset of misery in their relationship, who both decided to have their memories of each other erased. The technology of Lacuna Inc. seems to be adept at erasing conscious memory, but is that all there is to memory? Do Joel and Clementine know each other even after all their memories are gone? And are they destined to repeat the cycle? That's sort of all I got. Um, I mean, it's essentially what happens. Is that, that's what happens? Okay, cool. So that is my summary of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I think when I announced it, you said that you were always um, afraid to watch it because you didn't want to be depressed. Yeah. So I'm very curious if you found the film depressing. Uh, So not as I don't think I did. It wasn't what I expected. Um, It was basically like. I think the way that I always had it in my mind was that it was going to be very depressing. But then it was there was parts of it that were quite fun and a bit silly and a bit goofy. And I should have expected that anyway with it being Jim Carrey. I think I should have kind of given it a bit more um, in my because even when he does like serious roles, there's always like a bit of warmth to it rather than Mm -hmm. it just being like a a, let's pull your guts out by Well, that's the thing. It's just, I just, I personally find it very diff. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how do I, how do I feel about these kinds of things and why we're so opposed in these types of movies, how you like a punch in the gut and I'm like escapism. And that's kind mm-hmm. of the way we both approach movies. And I think it's because I'm a very emotional person in general mm-hmm. and anything that is intended to make me cry or feel emotion or connect to some experience I've had in the past. I don't want, cause I'm like, I've already had that experience. I don't need to feel that again. Right. I felt it very, very deeply and definitely. So that's why I was very nervous about watching it. But when I watched it, I didn't 
get yes. that feeling. Okay. It didn't. And what was it? What, what? 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 Tell us now what you thought about it. It was like I enjoyed it. So I definitely enjoyed it more than I expected to. I have thoughts and things that I want to say on some of the people and some of the actions <laughs> that happened in it. I thought it was an. In, I liked the idea of it and the premise of it, and I know we're going to talk about it later, so I won't. I won't go on about it now. But I like that idea of, um, if you could, would you? Would you erase the pain? Would you erase the good with the bad because of mm-hmm. the pain and, and all that kind of stuff? I liked that their relationship was very real. I yeah. did. I think that's what I expected it to be like this beautiful, fantastical fantasy type of a relationship that was destroyed. So in the end, I didn't really feel that much sympathy for either of them because I was like, well, you're both assholes to each other. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, I have another question then. Um do you think it is a romantic love story, the film? No. No. Okay. I think I thought it was, but I don't think it is romantic now okay. that I've watched it. Yeah. I think the movie is sort of like a poem to love stories. Right. It's like a poem about love stories. The, the movie is. It's exploring love stories and relationship stories and exploring that sort of side of the human condition. Uh, it's just it's a, it's like making a statement, um, and we can get to that a little bit more in the themes. But um, I really love this movie, and I, I probably watched it like three times this week. I didn't oh, get wow. my hands on like a good copy, unfortunately. <laughs> I watched it once. I, I had to like watch it. Um, you know, just at first I was like, let me just watch it to to get you know what I want to talk about, and then I sort of watched it once, kind of just like half half looking, and then I sat and watched it. Um, again, a couple of nights ago. Um, I love this movie a lot. Mm. I think it's really special and I think it's really well done. And it's really saying something. Um, so, but we, we'll talk about, we don't want to get too stuck into all of that and I'll bring it up in, in a little bit. So let's just start, if it's okay with you, let's start talking about the cast and the crew and all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, sure. Okay. I want to talk about first about Charlie Kaufman who wrote it. So Charlie Kaufman wrote it and he um, is before this, he's in a lot of stuff, but including adaptation and being John Malkovich. Have you fans of those movies? Uh, you yeah. watch those ones? I don't think I've seen fans? adaptation, but being John Mal- Malkovich for sure. Yeah. Adaptation. Yeah. So those were both directed by Spike Jones, and those movies were like huge family favorites of the Werdiger household, <laughs> um, being John Malkovich and adaptation. So Charlie Kaufman, I think he writes a lot about the inside of your head. So he right. blurs the line between like what's inside and what's outside. And a lot of his movies, being John Malkovich, literally being inside his head and adaptation also sort of being about that kind of frustration of writer's block. He's taking his own internal frustrations as the writer and putting them to film and creating himself like a twin brother. He's just like, you know, adaptation, he also credited his imaginary brother. <laughs> he was nominated along with his imaginary brother. So always he's exploring the things. And then he went on to do a movie recently, um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which he wrote, directed, produced on his own. And he sort of saw like what happens when he has free reign. I think like that was I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So I think, and I have a little, this is my little Kaufman speech that I'm going to make. What I think, I've thought about this a lot and this is my opinion and this is what I think. Okay. 
I think this movie is like a perfect balance of Charlie Kaufman, right? Because I think when he directs himself, it sometimes it's way too difficult to understand what he's trying to communicate. And I think it gets a bit too complex and too much. It's like too nonlinear. And I think that people like blank out and it, and it excludes a lot of people. And then on the other hand, I think the Spike Jones stuff are great. They're like proper movies. They're grounded. They're linear. They're like proper movies. Like everybody is like, ooh, it's like tripping me out without like soup being too challenging. Right. Then, but I think with here, and this is where Michelle Gondry comes in because Michelle Gondry directed it. It's like the perfect balance where all these surreal elements come out really clearly. So... He's trying to communicate like emotional state and I think it's beautiful. So it's sort of a good amount of surrealness, emotion, fantasy, and it's communicated and it's actually digestible, I think, for everybody. It's not too much for us, I think. Mm-hmm. It's not too much. It's like on the edge of being too much, but I think like you can watch it again and again and you can kind of absorb more of it. So I, I think it's the combination of Michelle Gondry's vision and Charlie Kaufman's crazy writing, complex writing together that I think is really, really achieves something um, that is just stands the test of time. It's like an amazing piece of art. Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. I'm smiling because you're happy. <laughs> I am happy. <laughs> I love this movie. So that's my little speech okay. about Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry together. Michelle Gondry also is co-writer. Right. So that's what I think. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I don't know enough to, to make any comments on that. So I just think, go for it. Cool. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's my whole statement. I've thought about it. That's what I think. I do love those other two movies, but this is, it's so much more um, ambitious, mm. I think. All right, cast. So let's just talk about the, the, sci- the people that play scientists. We'll, we'll do it later. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about our non-science people first, starting with Jim Carrey. What do you reckon about Jim Carrey here? I just, do you know what? It's, I think there's this weird thing where there's some of us whose first experience of Jim Carrey will just have been like Ace Ventura or The Mask or something. So you just think about him Mm -hmm. like that. And, And I remember those movies and I remember the silliness and the goofiness and the fun. And then I remember like the Truman Show. And there's just so much that he can do. I think he's so fantastic. I think he's really able to come to something and give us a little bit of heart and and grit and sadness in something while also still having some comedic side to it, which I think is a lot yeah. of people's normal life. Like I think he represents somebody just as a regular person normal. Yeah. better than any other actor when he does things like this. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was like almost there's something or element almost like unrecognizable about him in this. So he just mm. became like a completely regular person. Yeah, the way he was so unfunny with her, like in their whole meeting and the way that they were like chatting to each other and him trying to crack jokes and failing. I was like, how amazing that he, this guy, one of the funniest people alive, is so is succeeding so well at being so unfunny but then when the movie becomes very surreal and he has to take on a lot of the physical comedy and you're like right this is why they hired him yeah 
him being the child, him going away, the way he throws, he, he like picks the bike up and he cycles away on the yes. bike. It's like too small for him. All these little things, like he takes on all that physical stuff and he does it so incredibly yeah. because he can. So, uh, okay, that's Jim Carrey. Um, next up, good old Kate, Kate Winslet. I, I just love Kate Winslet so much. In everything. Like, I don't think there's ever been a movie that I've seen her in that I've not liked her. Like, I just don't think it's possible for her to do something that I dislike. She's got this... It's They have similar qualities, I think. Which is why why they work so well together for this role. Because, like, his ability to just be a regular person. But Kate Winslet has that as well. She has that ability to just kind of... There's a genuineness about her in general as a person. Yeah. What you what you see like uh, in interviews and all that kind of stuff, and then she's able to bring that to the character, and and I just think it was it was a lovely contrast between the two of them, and it was a lovely. Um, she was also somebody who was just like just this. Reg- I know that girl. I've met that girl. We've all mm-hmm. met that girl. Like there's yes, she is a real regular normal girl yeah. that exists, and they are a regular normal couple that have stupid ass fights and a very unhealthy relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I liked a moment, a moment from her I just had to write down was um, the Vix inhaler, yeah. that little touch. Yeah, <laughs> she- and, uh, and there, was a, there was also a bit, sorry, is that when, um, when they come back from the Charles and she's fallen asleep in the car and she sort of acts like the waking up, she's like, oh, you know, her, she, she just acted it so well, like that she just had her sleepiness. She's so amazing. Okay, next up is, I think, Kirsten Dunst is the next person, I think, on the list. She is... um, I've got some things to say about her in a while, but yeah. Okay, awesome. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, we'll talk about her then later. So the only last, the two, is um, Jade Adams and David Cross, who pop up as the couple of the friends. They were fucking great. (laughs) Aren't they? What, what? It was always like, here's a couple. That was like the, yeah. here's a couple. Yeah. These people who you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was awesome. The dumping the laundry on him. Like. The, do you know what, though? There was a weird, there was a weird thing. There was something about the way that they fought, though. There, and I do, I presume this was done intentionally, or maybe other people will have read this differently. But the way that they argued with each other, was distinctly different from the way that um, Clementine and Joel argued. You have... No, like, you're together. Yeah, you're, you've, you've got this normal kind of, we've been together for a long time and we're comfortable enough that we know what we can say to each other when we piss each other off without it being... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I Maybe, maybe I read it wrong, but that's just kind of how I read it. I was kind of like, okay, there's, yeah. there's that. Like, this is a... This is a old relationship that has fights whereas the other two are like that's a damaging turbulent yeah 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 there's a turbulence to them um to to clem and joel yeah that 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 the other couple yeah they were like this is a normal couple getting on each other's nerves give it a rest give it a rest (laughs) i think now i were talking to themes so just picking up our conversation before the first thing I wrote was, you know, the question of is it better to 
have loved and lost than never to have loved at all being the overarching question. And then I sort of like the, the, the thing that kind of came out when I was thinking about it more is, is this question is, is like, you know, because at the end they decide to go on for another round, mm. um, do it anyway, knowing what will happen. But the question is like, are we nuts to keep hoping when we know what we know? It's not necessarily yeah. saying, oh, we're going to erase memories and do the same thing with the same person, but we might do the same thing with a different person because this is sometimes the way things go. Um, and so, but we keep searching and keep looking, knowing these sort of fundamental flaws that we have. And I thought that was kind of the central question. Yeah. What do you reckon? The way I kind of felt about it was there's the, as you said, is it better to be loved or lost? Uh, Better to be loved and better to lose love. What's the fucking statement? (laughs) To have loved loved and lost. (laughs) Oh, I don't know these things. This is too serious for me. Okay, no, I can do this. I can do this. Um, I was thinking about that one of the things, if I think about my past experiences and painful experiences, would I rather have erased that pain? And the point for me is that there are good parts that come with the painful experiences. And even if something is an entirely painful experience, the person that I am today is a reflection of having gone through those experiences and how I have dealt with them and how the decisions that I have made about what will make me happy and what I want in the future as a result of those painful experiences. And I don't mean in the sense of everything happens for a reason. I just mean in the sense of being able to look at something and say, that was a bad situation. I will not allow myself to go into a situation like that again. Yeah, it's funny what you said about like, Yeah, the thing is, we don't have the choice to go back and erase our memory. So we just have to live with it. And it's like silly to be like, would you, could you? You're like, well, I can't. You just, and part of the thing in life is overcoming. Like, that's part of everything is dealing with that is part of life. So you can't separate the two. But I always would prefer not to have had bad things happen to me. So people say, oh, people say, oh, would you prefer X, Y, and Z to not have happened? And I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. What a question. Trauma growth isn't something to aspire to. Yeah. But we don't we don't have the option, so I, I agree with you. That's I the whole everything happens for a reason thing that, that frustrates me because it's I, I, exactly as you said. It's sometimes sometimes you go through a bad situation and something good comes at the end and then people will be like, Oh, you had to go through that to get and it's like, no. But the problem is, as you said, I ha- I I did go through a bad situation. That's the question at the end, it seems. How do they, ha- knowing the bad situation, how do they handle it? Or do they handle yeah. it different because they don't feel the pain of the bad situation? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, and I think it's interesting knowing knowing the science now, having looked into the science, it's interesting hearing all these things asked because it does link to okay. the function of memory and the role of emotion in our memory as well and the importance of memory and and I'm excited to sort of get stuck into that in the science okay. section for sure because I think it is relevant. So let's go for the first section. Welcome to the first section. Trope of the week. Abby, what's your trope of <laughs> the doing, week this week? This is the sports commentator trope. <laughs> All right, here comes Abby. Come with you. Lane seven. Come up ahead. 
Abby, what is your trope of the week? Uh, oh, fucking old man and secretary relationship. Young woman, old dude. Young woman enthralled oh. by older man's oh. genius, whatever. I don't know. The whole, just the whole Howard and I can't remember Kirsten Dunst's character's name, to be honest. Mary, I think. Mary. Yeah. Howard and Mary thing. That fucking blindsided curve that came out of nowhere of like, wait, what? Why? Why? Uh, because <laughs> because she's the young, stupid girl. I'm a stupid girl with a stupid crush. I did like that part of the scene. I thought that was a... That's something you don't often see. Like the, you know, the, the mistress going after the wife and being like, no, 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 please. Like this is, this is, I, I just, I've done something really stupid. It's not a thing. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was just that like, it just seemed a bit forced. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it was there to, to, to make, it was a, yeah, it was I mean, a it catalyst. Was, it was a plot device for to sure. To push the story. Yeah. yeah. Yep, 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 yep. The thing about her age, I was like, well, I was just thinking like Monica Lewinsky or just like a bright eyed yeah. young girl who doesn't have a sense of how young she is because actually often we don't realize how young we yeah. are. You get starry eyed for someone older and you're just like, ah, uh, uh, and it's their kind of job not to take advantage of this sort of thing, <laughs> this like funny worship thing. And there are a lot of reasons why someone might like not be worried about the age um, the age factor. But, you know, I guess she, she might have been a number of reasons. You could be... Like she, she, she was wow. No, I mean, I, I no, I agree. get it. I don't, I don't question agree. like why it would happen. I get it. And it does happen and everything like that. But I just felt it was just a thing that happened in the story where I just kind of went, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. My trope. Okay. My trope is an anti-trope. It's the manic pixie dream girl, which they did not do. They fleshed her out. Because it was like he was still seeing her like a manic pixie dream girl, even though she was like, I'm not that. Yeah. Uh, people look at me like I'm supposed to save them and I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. <laughs> that was a great line. I love when he's like, that line. was a good speech. That was such a great line. It was a great line because he was like, he is like, oh, I'm such a boring fuck. This girl has all these different sorts of hair. She's going to save me. Mm. And she said, everybody thinks I'm going to save them. And I'm not. And he says, I still thought you were going to save me even after you said that. Yeah. Which is like the essence of what kind of what went wrong. But they kind of explored that trope. Even the real life idea that people have that someone's going to do something for yeah. them. And they criticized it. I suppose. You know? Yeah, I suppose like the whole thing really with their with. I mean, it's kind of hard. I guess you probably need to watch it a few more times to pick up on all the extra nuances of the relationship and the things that get said that give you hints about everything. But like there was that thing where when you finally learn about the relationship that he had been living with someone else and then he met her at the beach. Yeah. And then they went to the house and then he he got freaked out in the house and left. So it's obviously this moment of like his life is stagnant. He's unhappy with his situation. He thinks he's boring. He's this. This girl has come into it. She's colorful and bright and exciting. And he's like, oh, she can change everything without realizing that you can't put the responsibility of changing your like she can't change your personality. She can't change the things that you find comfort in. If you want to step outside of your box, that's on you. That's not like, you know, go and do something exciting for yourself. But and obviously that's going to fail in the end because you're never going to 
you're never going to rise up to meet her and she's never going to come down to your boredom level that feels mean saying that boredom level but you know that thing yeah it don't assign her that yeah. exactly what she says like she knows it she sees it yeah and he does and he doesn't it doesn't change at all it's interesting because you're making me <laughs> originally i was like oh you're both assholes and now i'm like actually maybe he's just the asshole he is definitely the asshole he's just like she's saying very clearly yeah hello this is me and he's completely only seeing what he wants to see yeah and then exactly the elements that he wanted to attract her to he then puts her down for yeah you know okay oh this is later you're Uh, you're changing my mind about what happened i love it okay (laughs) fine cool yeah he doesn't he's just like i'm just a nice guy (laughs) nice 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 (laughs) Anyone who says they're a nice guy is not You're a nice guy. You're crazy. You're crazy. And it's like, well, okay. Um, but it's a pretty good representation. Yeah. Um, he's pretty mean to her, isn't he? Okay. Um, science section. All right, let's get into it. Okay. I think I've got actually some stuff here to say. Science environment. Okay. All right, we'll talk about lacuna first. Lacuna, I want to talk about the actual environment of the clinic and and then we'll talk about like the setup of the clinic, the setup where they were in the room. So it's just the actual physical setup and then we'll talk about lacuna itself and what that might have referred to or be similar to. So first, what did you think about this sort of science, the equipment the environment in both of those uh settings yeah it's like the the office first of all it just feels like very a um the office feels like a very like like a just a rundown normal kind of little clinic or or like a vet's office or something do you know it's just like a normal just little kind of practice but not yeah not like swankified it's it's obviously there's a little bit something a bit grungy about it you know you see all that Mm -hmm. even with like the vans a bit dodgy and and everything and it was kind of only as it went through it stopped being this like fanciful kind of big business idea in my mind of watching it into being very just like oh no this is this is a a one-man show here really that's not not (laughs) not exactly making the big bucks and then but then randomly in the uh in the apartment it maybe it's just the thing they put on his head it was just became doctor who for a second and just super like you know spacey <laughs> sci-fi but then the table and i was just like oh frida's gonna have so much to say about these scans <laughs> every time they were showing images on the screen i was like ah oh, frida yeah i love when he was like trying to find the memory and he was like let me just scroll through the memory. i'm going to scroll through the entire memory and he's scrolling just down the axial plane yeah you know that (laughs) scrolling through the memory i'll just scroll down here through the memory (laughs) i can do that too see how did you feel about it um i loved how it did not it was so simple like it, it really didn't try to have like your um you know tom wilkinson didn't have a scene of like here's the science yes yeah. like in jurassic park um it was like very vague and uh, it was kind of shitty it was like a strip mall yes the van kinda, there was a dodgy element 
to it. Um, it just was like these people, they do this thing. Yeah. And like there's references to being like, it is a bit like brain damage. Like this isn't good for you. I also love um, on the phone where, where she's like, you can't do it three times in a month. Yeah. So they're servicing the most up distressed people on it and, and talking now. It reminds me of my comments about um, Theranos. These businesses set up in a sense to prey off of people that are not quite yeah. okay. So the, the people that will come back and back are people that, you know, make messes of their lives and try to clean it up and that instead of repairing in more healthy ways with long, long-term solutions yeah. and they're sort of there to profit off of the misery of, of, of misery, you know. So it's a sort of very American thing. In uh, a it's way. wrapped up in a, in, a, in a helping thing. And you're like, it's not, this isn't going to help anyone. You're not helping people develop or, or grow amazingly stated and I'm going to come back to that point in a minute I just had one thing that was just in the clinic so in the waiting room where you sort of see the people waiting there and I reckon the woman was definitely there to forget her dog and the man was definitely there to forget his son in my opinion I just saw the woman with the dog stuff and I was just like why would you do that I would never erase Lolly from my brain are you insane yeah, because it's freely available and she's yeah. just done it a lot, probably. But the guy had a trophy and I just had a sense yeah. that it was his son. And no. just it, you just saw misery, misery, human misery. And yeah. it just it brings up th- some things. But what I wanted to talk about is I think that there is a great comparison to cosmetic surgery oh, here. Okay. In my opinion, especially how you said it's bottles as helping people, right? That's the justification for it. But on closer inspection, you're like, is this really the best way to help people who feel that terrible? Um, And there's a comparison on a couple of levels, I think, because not only is cosmetic surgery packaged as helping people, but it is sort of unregulated. Yeah. Because this is, I'll take from the Australian College of Plastic Surgeons, because it's plastic surgery, which is a specialization where you have qualified specialist plastic surgeons. And then you have cosmetic surgery, who, cosme- who practice cosme- cosmetic surgeons, who practice cosmetic surgeries, but are not qualified specialist surgeons. Wow. Technically, any doctor can call themselves a cosmetic surgeon if they do a cosmetic procedure. So elective cosmetic surgery can be done by any doctor who then just says, I'm a cosmetic surgeon. So the term is not protected. Right. And that is less regulated. And I would make that comparison to Lacuna, with Lacuna, as if... All the additional new things you can get done with cosmetic surgery, which all these ideas just only expand, Mm. maybe one day will include something like this, a mind-altering thing, memory dampening, memory enhancing or total recall. These other elective procedures that are therefore unregulated. Well, I was just, I was as we were talking, and I had thought about this as well, and I forgot to bring it up. It's the, the premise of what we're doing with Lacuna and who they are. It's very... Philip K. Dick. It's total Phil Dickian, to use the term. Uh, but like it is, but it's 
it's everything that we did in especially everything that we did in that mini series it's about making what slight change can you make to society using technology that will erase something like that will eliminate some part of the human condition and there's the you know your yeah. minority report is doing the the criminal stuff um uh, blade runner is using you know android replacing with and or trying to create the human condition in androids uh, total recoil with the giving you the false memory rather than taking it it's like oh he will give you something uh-huh. positive and scanner darkly was the kind of taking it away but the the drug dependency in order to dampen the misery and and it is all that stuff and it's like what you're saying about just Lukuna's entire existence is there to it's the human condition looking at all the human misery that is connected to it and erasing the misery and then the statement on how if you erase the misery you also erase the positives of those experiences and is it worth it kind of thing and, and they're just preying on the people who don't have the emotional capacity to find another way out of the misery it's quite depressing yeah. actually it's hard it's hardly depressing yeah that the you know getting rid of there's a lot you could say about that you could say so much about you know millennial anxiety and also you know what do we do we sit and meditate or we take a bunch of drugs <laughs> Joan Hill dropping yes. Molly the thing like these band-aids basically because the depth of misery is so you know it's vast and so this is easier to apply a band-aid but yeah I, I there's so many things out there like this whole idea of elective invasive procedures is baffling to me even my sister was talking about um iv infusions for vitamins oh, <laughs> and it's like you know putting a line in is an invasive thing which should only be done because it's necessary but just the willy-nilly like it's just yeah it's just capitalism basically unfettered yeah expensive pee you're paying for very expensive pee these things hurt you, like your your body. What about, you know, it's just fucked up. Okay, so that, that comparison, I think, is a fair one. I think even the way the clinic was at a strip mall thing could easily be just a <clears throat> just a cosmetic surgeon place. And these yeah. people, I, I have a very low opinion of cosmetic surgery. Okie dokie, let's talk about our scientists, starting with Dr. Mearswick. Mearswick? Tom Wilkinson. Right. So we've touched on him briefly about his sort of Bill Clinton-esque relationship with (laughs) Mary and how um, vampiric that is. (laughs) Um, But in terms of his representation as a sort of kindly yet sort of dubiously (laughs) unethical uh, medical practitioner, what are your thoughts on him? I think... Talk about his performance, talk about whatever. That's exactly what you said. At the start, I was like, oh yeah, you know, he seems quite nice and kindly and genuine and... And just, you know, and and he goes to the house and he sorts things out. He's the one who's got the experience. He's able to step in. He's able to fix things. It's not his fault that his employees are fucked arts. But it's just like he just goes and he's like, it's fine. But then you get the reveal. (laughs) You get the, oh, sweetie, you already had him. And it's like, um, wait, what? And then suddenly, like, all his credibility is just gone. And you're like, ethics? What the fuck? 
Who are you? What have yeah. you done? Why? It just changes his character for me entirely in that moment. Everything about what I thought I was quite positive about him. And then it was like, oh, it's so bad. And and you know what really gets me about his character is when she when she's sort of coming to terms that he says, you wanted it. You asked for it. And then you hear the tape. Yes. And what does he say? We agreed it was for the best. Yep which is so sinister to me. It isn't her. It was him being like, I think it's best for everybody if we put you, you undergo brain damage. Yeah. So that you can't learn from this experience and not repeat the same mistake. Yeah. Putting her and then still being the secretary for whose benefit? Right? For whose benefit? Yeah. For his. It's sinister. Oh, I don't know if his, but I mean like to, there's no like – it's not protecting her, it's protecting him. Yeah. Or his, I, I'm not sure, but that that line, it made it very clear to me that she was talked into it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It was, uh, it was definitely, and it, that, it's that thing that we, that we talk about a lot. It just, I don't mean in, not necessarily in the podcast, but just in general about power plays and about how people don't understand the influence that someone like people make it about like oh it's the woman's choice and it's woman's and it's you know she she didn't have to or she consented or she's of whatever age and everything and you're like no the power plays matter somebody in a certain position of power with somebody who has a different position matters the do- those dynamics affect people's decisions how they behave what choices they think that they have and what they are able to consent to and that that's very clearly shows it there yeah. Absol- absolutely. Okay, let's now move on to Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I love Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo is such an amazing actor because yes. he's so amazing. Even like the stupidest characters, he manages to just do so much yeah. with it. He's such a legend of that, isn't he? Just a legend in getting characters which should be nothing but turning them into something. Yeah, absolutely. He was great. He's the best. So good. I loved this bit. I loved... um. His reaction to Elijah Wood's character, he was like, what, you little fuck? She was unconscious, the, the way he says yeah. it, the way he was like, you little fuck. It was amazing. This, this is- and the way Elijah Wood was like, there's more. And he's like, no, please stop talking to me. The only, like, the only thing about it was like that – that those guys in the apartment really really made it clear like that was a moment where you start to realize oh this entire operation is just a sham like they're doing the thing they what they're doing what they claim that they're doing science-wise is real and they're really doing it they're really erasing the memory like that's all true but their competency made me so angry i was like all of them in the apartment they are the worst they were just the worst the worst the absolute worst yeah. like just the little running around like drinking the beers eating all the food like dancing around in their underwear like just the disrespect to the patient that they have in their like the smoking weed it was just like what are you doing <laughs> what is yeah. your job man what what's your like is this just a case of the representation of the scientist who's been put into a role where he couldn't get anything better and he hates his job and he doesn't really give a shit. So he's just half-assing it or something. I don't know. It was just so weird, the whole situation. 
it, it probably doesn't help. Like there'd be no one for like there'd be no one for Jim Carrey to complain to. Not only would he not remember, yeah, but it's so unregulated. Like they're just this sort of they're just a couple of people with their with their white coats, and they're like, "This is one of our technicians. This is other like." They're trying to make it seem like they're official, you know, but actually they're just like a couple of blokes. Yes, yes. And they're erasing memories. And that probably gives you the temptation to like, oh, do that shit probably grows with time. Actually, yes, because I suppose like is like if Howard is the doctor, like what is Ruffalo? Is he even like, is he a scientist? Is he a doctor? Is he he just a, is he just the IT guy? Like, is he just, he's just like, he just presses the buttons and it's no, he doesn't have any training in it or anything, which is why he can't fix it. Absolutely. But they're all still wearing their white coats and exactly, she was wearing the white coat as well, even though she was just the receptionist. Yeah. But they made, yeah, they were trying to make it look like it was like, oh, a bunch, a load of like specialist people who, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's just him and it's just him and he's kind of a nut. (laughs) <laughs> but he's kindly he's got such a kindly yeah. facade yes and then and then with the her story allows us to learn more about his character to realize more about how much of like that 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 kindly outward appearance doesn't necessarily yeah oh sorry i'm loving this <laughs> yeah and also when you meet the wife and the wife's like you can fucking yeah. have him. she looks the wife is like <laughs> i have been through enough shit with this fucker i don't want it anymore <laughs> like her whole face erasing people's memories yeah. <laughs> this wasn't even like oh he slept with you once before and i'm distraught this was like i am so sick of his shit <laughs> yeah like he think about it he embarked on an affair she was so distressed mm. you could hear from the tapes yeah and he talked her into having her memory erased but he still kept her around yeah and then she comes onto him again and she does nothing. And where's Mark Ruffalo? And he does nothing to stop it. Yeah. Where's Mark Ruffalo's character? Like just waiting outside because he knows there's like nothing for him to do there. Yeah. And although Mark Ruffalo is like, I didn't know. It's, it's like kind of a Harvey Weinstein thing. I had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, because no one told me, but he's like. But you kind of probably knew. Probably on because some level. Standing outside you the kind watching. of knew. Yeah. You kind of knew because you knew enough to leave. Yeah. You knew you weren't welcome and you knew enough to leave. And that is like, how many other times has this happened? What what does Mark Ruffalo just like turn to blind eye to stuff he's seen? Whether it's Doctor, whether it's Elijah Wood's character, and we'll talk about him now. But it's just, it's it's all... It's all just, you know, Tom Wilkinson's just like the person with the only amount of education and power yeah. and just like these other people that are just doing his bidding. All right, Elijah Jesus Wood. Christ. He's such a baby. <laughs> He's such a baby. He's so young. I was so confused. I was like... Elijah Wood? Yeah. Does he have a, but he has a baby face. He does, but he just... he the, In this one particularly, he just looks like he's such a like like a little teenager who has this is his part-time weekend job who has no idea what he's doing patrick baby boy (laughs) and then tom wilkinson saying patrick (laughs) baby boy i love i love um joel's they call what's it i learned this word homonuc homunculus little person homunculus. little person running around his own head homunculus trying to put it together patrick and patrick yeah 
I loved it. <laughs> I just it's Patrick. one of those things where it's like I kind of loved I thought that I thought they all did great jobs, all the actors. I just hated the characters because I just thought they were all assholes. I liked Mark Ruffalo's character. I thought he, he was, was normal. okay. Like he was dating the secretary. He was yeah. just seemed fine about it. He was also had a pretty good perspective on Elijah Wood's behavior and Patrick's behavior. I mean, he's still an unethical piece of shit who's doing a terrible job. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I always, I, but Mark Ruffalo, like, I'm just saying the way he does a lot of nuance in his characters, yeah. it rounds him out. Like, he isn't just a terrible guy no. because Mark Ruffalo does such a good job yeah. to make him into a full person who's actually, like, he's actually all right. But also, this is America. You get whatever fucking job you can yeah. get. You know, I, I think in the context of, like, where they are and how expensive living clearly is based on the shittiness of their apartments. Like, whatever, man, you hustle, you yeah. do shit, like, you stand aside, you stand quiet. There's all sorts of reasons someone th- ends up where they are. Yeah. I don't think Mark Ruffalo's character is a bad guy. He's stuck in a shit situation. He would like yes, it to be different. He's stuck. He'd like to be with Mary. He'd like to be have a bit more responsibility and to be able to... Uh, but he's sway- persuaded into the kind of not really giving that much of a shit because he knows that Howard's the top dog. Yeah. And then Elijah's just yeah. like a horny little kid. Who, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick's oh just God. a little horn dog. And he's like, I just want this woman. So I'm going to take her underwear and all of her boyfriend stuff and try to convince her to fall in love with me. It's like, what are you doing? Oh my God. Take an incredibly vulnerable person who is so confused. And use I, I yeah, what 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 needs to be said about Patrick's character? Ethics. But that <laughs> But that of course this would happen. Yeah. Shit happens. Stuff fucking happens, man. When you're not accountable. Even and mm. even at the highest level of accountability and the highest specialty, people still do crazy shit. But at least in that respect, there's a way to report, there's a way to do something about it, yes. even though those power plays might prevent it. By the way, so people with enormous power would bully others and prevent it. So think about all the power play and the bullying, plus no regulation, plus some like weird fucking anti-science things. It's like, a, it's like the Wild West. <laughs> Okay, on that note, let's get into some of the science because actually, surprisingly, there's some great, great science here, I think. I already mentioned that I'm going to say I know they depicted Joel as a, as a homunculus running around his own head and I think that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, we are <laughs> little people even like, where is he? And they're like, here he is looking at his brain. Like, where, where are you oh, in your yeah. brain? <laughs> He's just running around. <laughs> But aside from that, um, the way this movie treats memory is actually quite in line with contemporary neuroscience ideas about what memory is, okay. which is that it's more than just data that can be deleted. Like we have movies like Memento that are older that treats memory as files that you delete. And this one, it shows that there's a strong link to emotion in memory as well. And there's one scene where Joel is, you know, he wants his mother to pick him up when he's a child. And he's like, I want, I want her to pick me up so much. And he goes, it's amazing how strong the feeling is. As if what he remembers is the feeling of being wanting to be picked up. And that is what like, he associates strongly with the memory. So I want to ask you whether this is in line with your own childhood memories, i.e. the memory of feeling a very strong feeling. 
is what stands out when you think about your own memory. Oh. I'm trying to think of childhood memories now. I'm so curious, like, what's going through your head? Very <laughs> I, I feel like I'm somebody who doesn't have very good memories of my childhood. I have very, very few. I'm the same. I'm the same. The only things I do remember are those strong negative emotional experiences yeah. is what stands out from a childhood memory. Extreme emotional states right. is what I remember more than anything. I, and everything else is kind of a blur. I remember a lot of like my teenage years and a lot of that is mm. definitely connected to emotion and a lot of it is negative emotion. emotion. Um, yeah. But I don't Do remember much that... of like being younger than a teenager, to be honest. Yeah. Do you think that this movie, like it reflected well, like your own experiences of the past, the way it represented it? I guess so. I think, because I think like what they do is all the snapshots of all the scenes with her. Like, even if we take like the childhood out, because I can't really connect too much to the, to him being like a small kid. But like all of the other scenes, all of the the shots where she was in it, they were all specific moments. It wasn't a big, huge formulated thing. It was either a moment where he felt really happy or it was a moment where it was a really, where it was a really bad thing. You know, so yeah. it was it was either a very, very happy moment or I, I presume a sadness or like an anger or something like that. It was an extreme of emotion each each scene that he felt that you saw yeah. where he was where he met her in his memories. Which concocts the memory. The, the picture of Clementine that lives in his head is concocted from those memories yeah. of her um so memory okay so we can talk about like memory and how this movie talks about memory there's a couple of things um <clears throat> so the first thing is is we can say that um traumatic memories it sort of depicts them as being stored separately right, right? because there's this whole scene where it's like let's go somewhere where they won't find us let's go yeah. deep in your trauma section or your shame and actually, it, this is true to the, f the fact that the brain does store emotional memories differently from unemotional ones and also traumatic memories are stored differently than non-traumatic memories. So as follows is that the, the traumatic memories are actually stored in two different parts of the brain. You have the hippocampus, which is a normal seat of memory. But then there's the amygdala, which is sort of one of the emotional centers. So if you had a memory issue that erased conscious memory, like in Memento, for example, like as Dada, you might still feel the emotion associated with the memory when it was triggered. So for example, that Clementine has no, it's like, it seems like this is erasing this sort of conscious memory of an event, but there's clearly a trace emotional memory for example, when she goes to the Charles or she goes to Mont she goes to Montauk, she doesn't know why she goes to these mm. places. Um, because memory is sort of not just in one place. There's other things. Um, but yeah, the deep traumatic memories taking place somewhere else is definitely true to uh, neuroscience. That they're kind of walking around his brain like little people. So that's one thing about this, which is depicted in a way that is um, kind of true. And the fact that they have to run away to deep traumatic memories 
sort of shows shows this. I found that kind of interesting. What did you think of those parts where they sort of run off to find his shame? Oh, oh, stop! That scene was horrible. It made me just be like, kids are assholes. The the bird, like his worst, yeah. worst memory of yeah. himself, buried so deep. I think yeah, I think and we so do that. vivid. I think our brain protects us as well and and does bury things that are traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that exactly. That you don't crack open ever. Mm-hmm. That it wouldn't be in a same place. That it wouldn't be connected to another thing. That it would be ac- like it'd be buried so deep that it wouldn't like necessarily be triggered yeah. easily. Yeah. So when he's going through his memory of all these other things, that there's st- still something that's hidden hidden deeper. Mm-hmm. Um. But the main thing about this movie, which is really interesting, is that. He re-experiences everything as he's remembering it. So it's like he's going, oh, yeah, I remember now. It's being triggered by an object. And then you hear him being like, oh, yeah, Mm. I remember now. But it was like this and your hair was so much like this. Um, and, And that's representing the fact that you don't find memories. You're not like going through files in your brain to find, oh, that memory. Actually, modern neuroscience tells us that memories get rewritten every time they're activated. Oh. So you re-experience a memory. It rewrites the memory every time it's triggered. So that the best recollection that you have is the most recent recollection you have. Okay. So that's why your memories can change. Also, over time, they change memory because of the you rewrite the memory in the new context so you've become older wiser whatever it is you've learnt more you re recollect something it gets rewritten in a new context and so memories sort of do take on their own life and they aren't just the past they're sort of a modern contextualization of something that happened in your past always as opposed to the idea that's represented in a film like Memento, which is, it's like data, which Mm -hmm. they used to think that memory was like data. It's like deleting files from a computer. And it just isn't the way we understand memory anymore. Interesting. Yeah, because I guess like that would mean that every time you think about something, you would think of the same thing and it would be, it would occur in the same way. But even now, if I just try to think, it's really hard because because as you're talking about, I keep trying to think about things like memories that I have to see how I feel about them. And then it's making me just zone mm. off into my brain of my memories. And I'm like, stop going into your memories. <laughs> but like if I think about an experience or, or a time, yeah, it makes sense to me that I would think about it now and I would remember certain aspects of that trip. And maybe mm-hmm. tomorrow when I think about it, I'm not going to remember the exact same aspects in the exact same way. I'll remember something else. Or you might add mm-hmm. to it and be like, oh, yeah, and then we did. Whereas if it was data, you would like, surely it would just be the same thing. Mm. I think. Yeah, exactly. And it isn't. Yeah. It really, really isn't. Um, I remember like. Like there are so many things I remember from like because I had surgery a couple of times when I was really really young, and the memories are so like clear. I had eye surgery when I was like two. Wow! And I remember so strongly uh, these little things about it, um, and 
because of how strong the emotion was. And it's so funny because the same ophthalmologist that did it actually took my son there. It's the same guy who assessed his vision. And and he says, oh, you know, I remember you, little Frida. Um, And I said, you know, I have memories of that. And I was like, what was this? What was that? Because I remembered the anesthetic, which was delivered to me in a balloon that like blow this up. I remembered like this red balloon in my memory and he was like, yes, that's how we used to sort of get you initially anesthetized that you give it to a kid that you kind of knock them out that way and then they'd properly put you under. But uh, he said, how did you, do you remember if you were scared? And I was like, no, I remember I was very curious because it sticks out so clearly how I felt at the time. Like I know exactly how I felt at the time and I wasn't afraid. Mm. And it was funny because I was able to tell him, no, I wasn't afraid. I remember being intensely curious. I remember hearing the sounds of the washing up and thinking, are they having a shower? I remember being like, whoa, whoa, what is this? What is this? What is this? It was just like so vivid. And he was so happy that he could, it was like having a conversation with a child (laughs) that I wasn't afraid. And he was so emotional. He was like, I don't get a chance to like talk to the kids about how it felt. But I remember how it felt. Because I guess even just as you're saying that, it becomes like, at what point in our lives do we start to understand what fear is to the point that we feel it? There's like instinctual fear, sure. But where is it learned? Is our, as we get older and we learn, do we learn to fear things? And when we're younger, do we not have that immediately? And it's just instead, it's just a curiosity. Yeah. I was too young to be distressed yeah. by. I definitely wasn't distressed. I I really remember it. And then it's funny because a year after that, I got my molars pulled out when I was four. So I got one surgery when I was two, one surgery when I was three. I don't know which one I remember. And then when I was four, I had my molars pulled out. And that I remember how scared I was. And they wouldn't ever do that to a kid these days. But that memory, the fear is so, I remember being so afraid. Right. And it's, it's, it's like these it's the emotions. So the more I was like reading about memory, the more I was like, oh, that is how I remember growing up. Fear, shame, like anger, like these things Mm. stick out for me personally. And that's what stays till today. And then the pictures around those things might change over time. I reckon, I reckon they do. So the, the, the act of creating your memories as you're triggering them is called reconsolidation. Now reconsolidation creates a synaptic connection between two neurons that's what it's doing and to do this you need a protein synthesis so in other words nerve cells in the brain produce proteins and those proteins maintain the connection between the neurons as you recollect the image the memory i mean so it's that's that's the process that's happening which is why i can now go into like how it might be possible to erase a memory per se even though we've just talked about the fact that you don't erase memories because they're not data you just stop the behavior of reconsolidation okay so let's go into memory erasure and whether it's possible we're gonna like do the whole cliche thing where they go and i'm so sick of reading this in articles abby technically it wouldn't be possible to erase someone from your memory But it's not so far away as you think. I'm getting fucking sick of that. (laughs) Are you getting sick of reading that? Yeah. (laughs) Fucking sick of it. Just just sounds like pseudoscience about to be said. Um, So fuck that. I'll just tell you the thing. Um, Obviously, you can't 
do this thing, but if you were to do it, how would you do it? <laughs> it's the O.J. Simpson. If I would have done it, how did I do it? Um, you know, he wrote that oh, book. Oh, God, yes. If I did it. <laughs> Fuck it. How, if I did it. <laughs> so if they did it, how would they do it? There's been studies on rats about this, about using protein blockers uh, during execution of learnt behavior. So if they try to trigger behavior with mice with rats so pressing a button food comes out the cats can learn to do that right Mm -hmm. i I have a friend's cat who presses the button the food comes out okay and so you can disrupt the learned behavior using protein blockers beta blockers so trigger the behavior and and give deliver the blocker will lose the learned behavior in the animal okay so there's some studies on rats some studies (laughs) one fucking study and dubious just joking um i'm just getting sick of i we read so much i read a lot of science writing and i'm like don't shut up <laughs> anyway so instead of so basically instead of simply recalling a memory the brain forges it all over again right so technically speaking using a protein blocker you stop the process of forging it as i've said because you need the protein synthesis to make the connection between the neurons okay um, and in the movie, it shows like they have to create an emotional map of the memory in order to erase it, right? So what seems to happen is that Joel comes in and they trigger the memories one at a time and look at the brain activity. So they create a map of essentially what needs to disappear. It's triggering his learnt behavior, i.e. his emotional response, and then the memory being reconstructed, the reconsolidation process that they're creating a map of. So then they knock him out and then re-trigger the memory somehow. And this time they control alt block the protein synthesis. What? Stuff control alt delete. <laughs> <laughs> and this time they go delete, <laughs> effectively stopping the brain from remaking the memory. Okay. And I guess they create the map beforehand so that they can see that it's not done it. Right. But in the movie, it's like they kind of find points and delete it in the brain. So obviously, it's kind of nonsense. It's just like they're finding points on a clear fMRI scan or an MRI scan and just going like, delete, delete. But if I'm going to be generous, I'll say they had to create that emotional map, as they say, Mm. so they can make sure that that behavior doesn't repeat. So when they trigger it somehow when he's unconscious and they've delivered him some beta blockers that it doesn't do the learnt behavior, which they've seen before because they had him in there. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, that right, is but, interesting but, because yeah. I do like, I like it. I know, I agree with you about them, like sick of, sick of articles being kind of like, oh, but it's not that far off. And it's like, well, no, there's a difference between we theoretically know this is true and we haven't discovered it yet or... We are working towards being able to develop this technology. It's still going to like, you know, I mean, fishing, it's like it's still going to take a very, very long time, but we can. It is achievable and we're working on achieving it versus like, oh, there's this thing that you can do. So if we make some 25 jumps and leaps through to other dimensions, we can claim that we could possibly maybe in theory someday do something like this. Yeah. And I think it's not that far off. Not that far yeah, off. It's like what when we did Spectral and they said, we know we're not quite at the stage of 3D printing Bose-Einstein condensate. And it's like, 
There's no stage for 3D print. Like, that's not a thing that's being worked on. That's not a thing that's going to happen. And I don't think we're working on any, I don't think there's anyone out there working <laughs> on finding ways to develop technology to specifically erase an individual from your memory. Yeah. So. It's actually, it's incredibly far off. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't they just be honest and say, while it's not technically possible, let's have some fun with it. Yes. And that's what we're doing. <laughs> just be honest. That's what we're yes. doing. Exactly. <laughs> So what's funny is that the blockers, I'm not sure it would erase, it might erase the memory recollection. Like, because we talked about there being the emotional bond and the memory palace kind of, there's different things, i.e. there's different things that are taking place. The connection between the neurons, like what does it stop? Does it stop your emotional response? Does it stop the recollection and here is where I'm actually going to get into actual studies with human beings um, because there is a study in the Journal of Psychiatric Research where a beta blocker called propranolol propranolol that's a protein blocker was used to dampen the memory of trauma victims so this is victims with extreme trauma so trauma events that trigger a, a very strong emotional response. 19 of them, obviously, small pools. I mean, even as I'm talking, I'm like, Frida, shut up. <laughs> 19 accident or rape victims for 10 days they treated them, oh. during which the patients were asked to describe their memories of events that happened. And then some patients were given the drug and others were given a placebo. And a week later, they found that patients given the drug, showed fewer signs of stress when recalling their trauma. So what that was doing was to dampen the memory and the traumatic impact that it had. So it was almost to block the emotional uh, pull that was drawn from when recollecting the memory. So it's it's like not to traumatize people so much. And now that I say this, I'm like thinking about the interview I did with the um, hallucinogens lady where it was like, can we talk about the trauma? Can we talk about the traumatic experience without upsetting you? Can we use drugs to sort of fire up the brain differently in a way which blocks some of those emotional associations and allows you to talk about something? And there is a lot of research underway to sort of fuck with people's memory recollection of something so that it heals extreme trauma. Oh, you see then, I'm not sure how I feel about that. How do you feel about that? I don't know how I feel about it. Because, like, in some ways you think, great, because people who have had extremely traumatic experiences, obviously you want to help them. But if we dampen the response to it, are you ultimately reducing the sensitivity to trauma and reducing the ability to acknowledge what is a traumatic situation? Are you creating indifference? Are you creating desensitization? Like what I, I like, I, I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm not. Mm. Yeah. I think it depends whether it's a permanent thing or whether it's done in a therapeutic setting. Right. And then the effect is once the drug wears off, the effect is worn off and they are directed of how to integrate that into their life with the help of a trained professional. So it's not as if it does this permanently, yeah, but it might yeah. open a window. It opens a window. Yeah. So um, 
I mean, the only other thing about it, though, is it would, like, create a... Could it then create a dependency? Could it be a case of that somebody is like, I can't handle the traumatic experience. I need the drug in order to help me. Um, mm. That kind of... Yeah, I don't know. Yes. It's interesting. It's just, it's an interesting topic. Not necessarily yeah. for now, but yeah. It is It is very interesting. And so that's... So, so my thoughts about that is... And I, I will... Because it's, it's used for like severe PTSD that's sort of where this kind of thing is directed soldiers coming back from war um you know people that are survivors of of uh, sexual assaults um you know serious traumas so not but but other than that and even including that even okay this movie leaves us with the question are negative emotions, negative emotional experiences something that should be erased? Or do we accept them as part of the human experience? So Mary says, you know, it, you return back to the state like a baby. You know that speech? Yeah. She says, adults are a, mess, are a mess of sadness and phobias and how it makes it all go away. She, she makes you pure like a baby. If you could erase the memory from somebody of having had a negative experience to the point of something that's so like PTSD traumatic, then I would agree with that. Yeah. But I don't know that I would agree with like, oh, uh, this relationship isn't going well and I don't want to deal with the with the recovery from the pain or my dog died. Yeah, and if you erase your regrets, you can't... Like what yeah. I was saying before, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You can't grow. You can't learn if you don't remember your mistakes. Where did I go wrong? Yeah. So she's saying, well, go back to a baby. We're a mess. We're a mess of phobias. We're a mess. You are a result of your own experiences. Of course, say, yeah, like things that happened to you that had nothing to do with you, that are not likely to ever happen again to you. Sure. Yeah. You were in a war. You were raped. You didn't do anything to bring that on that you need to learn from. Yeah. But fucking up a relationship with a person because of the I- idealization of her, you know, is something you need to learn from. Yeah. And he is destined to repeat that. Because he erased his own memories and he will go on to repeat it. So it's like we have to live with our negative emotional experiences so that we can grow from them and be better. So that's, that's what I think. Like we got to live with the people we were. Yes. I can say when I was 24, I acted in a way that makes me cringe. <laughs> but I can then say how much I'm not that person anymore. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have the memories, I couldn't appreciate that I'm on a nice plateau high up there, having grown. And now, you know, not in turbulence anymore. So there's value to the pain and there's value to the suffering because we can reflect and not get back there again. I agree. Uh, absolutely. With everything you just said. Just before we before we wrap up, her hair colour. Yeah. yeah? So green is when they meet. Spring. 
summer is the red is the passion autumn is the fading passion the orange blue is the winter is the hibernation before the spring oh. cycle repeats itself there's a great video i knew um, i i was like i was watching it at one point and i was like there's gonna be something to do with the hair color and i don't know but freedom yeah. will know <laughs> summer autumn winter spring to represent the cycle that then repeats amazing the blue is not so much a a, the blue ruin it's her hibernation period before starting the cycle again um and then a green she springs (laughs) and then the fire and then the autumn one that was so harsh (laughs) but so how long were they together i don't know like i'm not saying they were together for a year but for the two hair colors cool two hair colors I would say no. So they got they they met in the spring, hair color, and then the red. No, yeah, no, red orange, because he came to the library in that scene and her hair's red. To Barnes and Nobles or wherever oh, they were. Yeah, that yeah. that scene is yes. one of the best scenes with the books with the white yes. books disappearing. All right, before we wrap up, you know, we'll go to what the fuck. Is there anything about the movie that we didn't get a chance to say? Anything you want to celebrate? I think I want to celebrate. That was specific. I know. Well, I mean, we talked so thoroughly about the things, but there's so many cool things in the movie. I'm just wondering, is there anything? I just, I just like, I'm just happy that it was unexpected. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I had this idea in my mind of what I thought it was about, just based on like my understanding from, you know, other people having seen it and conversations and stuff. And so it was it was interesting to me what it what it was in reality you know to watch it just as to see like i thought it was going to be this mm. thing where they would break up and it was really depressing and then he'd get his memory erased and then they they'd get back together again and then they'd break up again i thought it was like this repeated thing and that the story was going to be so much more just about the the destruction and the the horror of their relationship i didn't realize that it was going to be just this one event and it was all centered around this this moment of going through the memories of the relationship and stuff. And I just mm-hmm. found that was so much nicer. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And yeah. And it's it was like yeah. If you if yeah. you've been avoiding watching this movie because you're scared that it's really depressing, watch it. It's not depressing. It's fun. Yeah. It says like yes, there's pain, but if you go back further than that, there's all these other things that you want to hold on to that are beautiful. Yes. We haven't really we haven't said that explicitly here, but you you to get if you get rid of all the pain of somebody you also get rid of the joy and it's also like a cautionary tale of like a relationship ends it's at the worst point like there is other things there worth remembering yeah um so they say <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of depends on the it's relationship funny. <laughs> depends on the relationship but some yeah sometimes the ends of the relationship really shades the other parts yeah. of the- <laughs> well anyway that's that let's get into our what the fuck and i'm going to be fucking honest with you i don't have one play some music what the what the what the fuck i don't have one i i don't I don't have one. Okay, okay. I was like, it'll you come to me. One. It didn't. What's yours? Do they have fucking sex in the chair in his fucking apartment with the guy unconscious on the bed? Are you serious? 
Yeah, when you said before playing with the underwear, I was like, and having sex on Yeah, I know. I was holding it back. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to say it here because I'm saying it later. Because it was like they're dancing around in the underwear. And then next thing, they're sitting on the chair and there's a blanket over them. And he gets up and you get Ruffalo's butt. And it's like, did you literally just have sex with an unconscious dude on a bed next to you while you're supposed to be like working on erasing the memory of his love? And you just screwed like yeah it's so creepy it's like you just had sex next to an unconscious guy what are you like no it's so creepy (laughs) what the fuck no (laughs) agree mary was like not so into him i liked uh, i like their little subtle it was also good but i like the little ways that mary wasn't super into it (laughs) she wasn't she wasn't like that excited about him and then when when howard goes in and she's like hi howard (laughs) Poor thing. Oh, something about the movie that I want I love when Kate Winslet checks out her bruise yeah. in the mirror. And she's like, whew. She's wearing like a G-string. Okay. And she pulls her tracksuit pants down just to look at her bruise. I just always love that little moment. She's like, I have all her Kate Winslet's little moments. Okay. <laughs> what? I, I don't know. I never, I didn't. But yeah, no, I like it. I like, I like all. I like everything Kate Winslet does. Okay, that is the end of Eternal Sunshine. Let's get some ratings. Okay, does it pass the Sam's test? No, no way. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's sad. It's sad. I Mary. I feel like in oh, yeah, Mary doesn't, and then Clementine's the only other one. I mean, there's not that many in the cast, so like, I'm not really worried about the number of them. But, like, yeah, it's just, like, I mean, it's still, Clementine does for me, but uh, Mary doesn't. Yeah, it's, like, there's Clementine, obviously, she's there in the relationship thing, and I guess they could be switched, but the fact that the only other female character has to be revealed, her hopeless devotion to this man, mm-hmm. is, like, a defining character moment, so it definitely doesn't. Um, And then that Patrick, like, the guy there that isn't, like he has to be a terrible creep yeah. as well. So, uh, no, it doesn't. But yeah, okay. Does it pass the "Here Comes the Science" test? Uh, ish, ish. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Again, it doesn't. It doesn't do a Jurassic Park moment. So there's nothing yeah. that we can say. This they're not like this is what we're doing. It's vague. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I do think like I think to a certain degree it passes it because like obviously as you said we don't have that big. Oh, here's a big science explanation but it's also like not definitely not a but it's i mean the way it deals with memory is sort of a great depiction if you could really depict if you could depict the way memories are formed and our relationship to memories on film this does a damn good job of doing that cool yes i'll say yes you've convinced me good (laughs) Oh, I did my job. <laughs> okay, let's say rating out of um interesting one. In terms of just pure science point of view for me, I don't know, what are you gonna give it? <laughs> I want I wanna know what you're doing first. I'm feeling a four out of five. I was gonna go four. Yeah. Did we just I, match? I feel like I Yeah. The world's gone topsy turvy. Yeah. Four tangerines out of five for Eternal Sunshine. Amazing. All right. 
I know what's next. Can I tell everybody? <laughs> Do you want to cry while you tell them? No, can I just can I just be like, <laughs> oh God, go on then. <laughs> just kidding. Give us your. It's Thor. <laughs> it's Thor. <laughs> but it's by Kenneth Brenner. Bring you some class. <laughs> well, your 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 message to me was the funniest thing I said after you watched it, where you just. <laughs> I just got a message. Okay, from you can saying, read it. <laughs> why? How did Kenneth Branagh do this? And why, Abby? <laughs> I'm cutting all this. Now we're just talking to okay. each other. Um, but yeah, you'll definitely read that out. Yeah. I hope. No, it's um, yeah, it's just I'm just I'm just preempting before we record Thor to try to get Frida to not shit too hard on it, even though we know she will. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Next time, Thor. And then what's after this? In, is it Icarus? I think it's Icarus, yeah. No, oh, that's not Icarus. true. It's Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Are you serious? Yeah. It's Bob Lazar? Bob Lazar. Oh, my God. Bob Lazar's next, you guys. Just wait. Bob Lazar, Area 51 is after this. Fuck yeah. Okay, so if you want to get in touch with us, please do. Movies at gmail.com. Or Instagram at Science at the Movies. Can someone other than a flat earther please fucking comment on our shit? Um, and that's it. Leave a review, please, maybe. Or not. I don't know. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Next week it's going to be all the Roswell people.